Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. If you listen on the Entail app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hi, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but I'm getting fixated with how many steps I've done every day. And I mean, I walked for about two and a half hours the other day and I got to 8,000 steps. You're meant to get to 10, mm. right? And my average is three and a half thousand a day, which I know is sort of crumbling skeleton and, 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 and heart disease in the post and not good. And some days I do about 502 steps, which really means you're almost in a coma. It just shows how secretly competitive you are. You just mm, I'm not competitive at all. I'm just panicking. Okay, so you're just walking, walking, walking. You know, David, no, I'm not walking. I'm just panicking. In his um, in David Sedaris, oh, yes, <laughs> he becomes addicted to it, and he's in, ends up litter picking outside yes. his litter picking his in Sussex and getting to thirty-five thousand mm. steps a day, which is basically eight hours of walking. Yeah. Well, not, but yeah, very funny. It's great if you don't have a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> or you're so, avoiding something. Who has time to do ten thousand steps a day? I guess it, that's about two hours walking, isn't it? Yeah, I think it must be. Approximately. Do you think I should stand here and just silently walk on the spot while we're it. recording? You can just wave your arms around while we're recording. How would you guys feel if I just stood up and just Started pacing. silently paced I mean, on so the spot? so relaxed. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway Em, how are you? Uh, I'm absolutely fine, but a very weird thing happened to me yesterday, which is I'm a, a chronic, as listeners, regular listeners will know, I'm a chronic people pleaser. And, uh, and I normally, you know, I go into performance mode at almost every sort of... Um, kind of engagement where I'm like, hey, I'm going to please everybody and it's going to be great. And yesterday something happened and I just shut down like one of those kind of 90s Furbies that didn't, and I had nothing to give to the situation and I decided not to bother trying. I think you've been spending too much time with me. It was such an odd feeling because half of me was thinking, I should try and give, I should try and give more and I, I couldn't. I think maybe it's a good thing. I mean, definitely was it that you couldn't or was it that you chose not to? No, I think I chose not to. I'm like, I think so too. And I think that's progress. That I think that probably is. I think I sort of made the decision to go, okay, I, I'm not particularly enjoying this and therefore I'm not going to try and change that. I'm just going to be. Fuck, is that mindfulness? I don't know. Okay. Discuss. Well, um, anyway, so our next guest, very exciting, was one of the UK's hottest stylist, fashion director of The X Factor and a spiky judge on Britain's Next Top Model. But off camera, she was falling apart. Grace Woodward is here to talk to us about how she untangled herself from her codependent relationship with fashion, how she publicly apologised to women for peddling sick fashion body myths, how she released herself from the tyranny of crash dieting, and how Instagram gave her the confidence to try and find an answer to the question, why, as women, do we feel so terrible about ourselves? We are delighted to have you here, Grace. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm absolutely fine, but I'm really, really struggling with self-care. Do you mean the idea of self-care or just looking after yourself? I think it's actually, yeah. I mean, there's both. The concept of self-care, this kind of like, go and draw yourself a bath and this is your self-care. I think the concept of self-care has been so misused Mm -hmm. that it now has become like white noise. We almost can't hear it or process it. Yeah. I mean, the major problem I have, um, and and the reason why is I finally booked an appointment with my doctor, which, by the way, now, you know, it's I was a bit kind of weirded out by this happened, but it's obviously much more efficient. You call the reception. Hello, I'd like an appointment with a female doctor, please. OK, I'll get one to call you. What? Sorry. No, no. I want an appointment with a female doctor. Yes, I will get one to phone you and they will assess whether you need to come for an appointment. I was like, Whoa. OK. So I waited, like not being on the phone for the whole morning to be like, I can't miss this. I can't miss this. I keep messing this up. 
and um, they called and I told her and she was like really chatty and she's chatting me through, tapping, typing her notes, what I'm doing right now is, and she said, um, and, she, and I said, I feel like I'm going perhaps through the early menopause, um, which is a big topic for me right now because I'm 43, I'll be 44 in March. She said early menopause. Menopause is acceptable to come to the doctors at 45. She said 43 is slightly early. So what I'm going to do is a bunch of blood tests. She said, what are you feeling? I was like, my period's skipping. I haven't had one for ages. I'm murderous. I'm getting <laughs> hot flushes. Um, I don't know if that's the fact that my husband likes the heating on at 22 degrees. But, you know, that maybe there's something else in it because I have it in other places. Um, my bones start, started to hurt. You know, like the swelling in like my fingers and my toes and How's my your hips really bad yeah do you know what it sounds like it's happening god <laughs> um you know and it, this is something that you know on a, on a bigger scale when i decided through body of work and the may the apology that i did in uh the the u magazine uh, i i sort of got to the point after my mum died when i was like which was six years ago eight weeks after my son was born I had a light bulb moment of basically everything I'd done in my life had been kind of like completely ill-advised and I'd gone on this sort of mad sort of journey to nowhere. It sort of come to nothing, which is not necessarily true because, you know, you learn from all of your mistakes. So all of it was getting me to the place where I am now. But I realised that I'd been so afraid of women that I didn't really get involved or I didn't have a major woman I didn't have a um, a role model in my life do you think that you were so afraid of women because your mother with her kind of lifelong commitment to the anorexia that mm, killed her yeah. was constantly trying to reduce herself and wipe oh, herself yeah. out and that was what women meant to you they were something that should be erased um, uh, I think it's bigger than that I mean it, she it, my mum obviously from the beginning had mental health issues um, there are studies now saying that anorexia and bulimia, of which you kind of switch between both. Um, bulimia c comes from a an OCD mind, whereas anorexia is, is different. So they're, they're just starting to study that there's these two mental health things come from a different part in a, right, in a brain. It is possible to have both going on at the yes. same time, but they are different causes, different yes. routes. Yeah, yeah. So th this is just coming out. The studies are sort of just talking about it. And also when it comes to females, they didn't, they, they've only just realised that girls can be ADHD as well, where it's always a boy thing. But also, I mean, this came out a couple of years ago, but it's worth reiterating that they've never they never tested most medical things on women because they thought they were unreliable sources down to their hormones. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I mean that's just classic isn't it? It's just exactly the same sort of thinking that 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 that, that sort of has physically stopped us from moving forward in every aspect well, also of similarly you know that um, airbags in cars used to kill women and children because they were designed for men tensile pressure on office doors men could open them women sort of struggled because they didn't have the upper body strength women were always cold in offices because it was three degrees lower than it was comfortable for them but it suited the men I mean it's, it's a bottomless it's pit on, yeah. so you were talking about why you felt you were scared of women throughout this career when yeah. you were powerfully you know armed with ways to represent women and judging women and making them look beautiful Beautiful in a way that society demanded. You mm. were at the forefront of, mm. of the public face of femininity. So what was going on? I think, so going, going back to my mum's uh, mental health issues, um, I, so it's, it's difficult to explain how potent and controlling 
an eating disorder is because it just sounds like oh somebody doesn't eat very much you know and you sort of forget that it's watching somebody try and kill themselves over and over and over again on a really long and drawn out basis. I remember someone saying to me who'd been in treatment for heroin addiction and said, listen, you know, I feel sorry for the foodies. All yeah. I have to do is never take heroin again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also what anorexia does to your relationship with the truth, because you have to lie and lie and lie and lie to everybody you love all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, it, it, you know, it, it's it's a very terrible disease. You, I mean, you lived with it, you grew up I with it. I grew up with it, which is... Um, when did you realize? That she had an eating disorder, um, probably younger than I can actually remember. So um, we used to go on holiday and I'd, you know, I'd, she would be missing after mealtime and I remember going in and there would be, she was doing something in the bathroom and there was a quick flush and then, and I was like, mm. And then I remember things like, very specifically when she was, she got pregnant with my brother who's 10 years younger than me, she started eating toast in the morning. So it was like. And you were like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, I was like, hang on. I've lived with this person for a long time and this is a big behavioral change. Oh, oh, and also, I was quite a chubby kid. Well, I mean, I say chubby, but you know, there's a. I have, you know, I have body dysmorphia, like quite bad body dysmorphia. So you weren't a beanpole. No, I was just the size that probably my mum was meant to be, the size that my grandmother is. You know, she's from Ireland. You know, we're not, you know, whip thin aristocratic type, you know, bodies. And I know that's also putting that in a pigeonhole, but. Well, I'm basically a Latvian swamp creature, as far as I can tell. <laughs> so carry on. <laughs> so, um... You can't say that about yourself. I can. I know. You did? With love. Um, uh, With love. So, you know, as a kid, she always was um, micromanaging kind of what I ate and the eating surroundings in Irish. Because um, we, my mum and I lived... My parents got divorced when I was 18 months, so... I very quickly was my mum's kind of confidant and only friend, and you know, um, that was that was <laughs> really hard, really hard. Much of which I don't remember, but obviously it was ingrained into my psyche, and you know, is and I've had to. I don't even know if I've done the work on that yet. But also, it's interesting that you moved into fashion with all, all of its lies and all of its body hierarchies were familiar to you, because there is something very comforting about pain mm. that we are used to, and pain that we know. Mm. We can roll around in it, and it, it doesn't feel good, but it feels, you know, like we we know where we are. Mm. It's the drama that you know. Mm. It's what I, you know, I always felt like an outsider. I always then um, became friends with outsiders, because when you've known deep pain, you have that well in, in you, which you can, it has to take a lot of empathy to understand that. And um, weirdly, because I had so much pain, my I didn't have a lot of empathy for other people. That took a lot of healing to find that and to then kind of be able to naturalize my social circles because most of the time I was like this, just terrified of everybody actually. But of course, you know. because you grew up in a shark tank, mm. you have, you know you have to be shark or, mm. or you're, you feel like you're not gonna survive. Yeah, kill or so be killed. Kill mm. or be killed. I didn't know if fashion was gonna be a thing. I think it was an enabler for me not to have to try and work out what the fuck was going on inside. Yeah. Could just not to go there because it, like you said, it was like, look at this, don't look at me. And that means I didn't have to do the work. But I remember like, you know, days, and I really used to dress up, really kind of, 
you're very fashion compulsively would, kind of yeah. but also like I remember walking down the street being like why is everyone staring at me like don't look at me don't look at me but what would happen is the more vulnerable I felt inside the more wacky I would dress and we're having like the complete reverse effect and I'm feeling really paranoid when all I wanted to do was disappear but everyone's staring at me because so even getting dressed was an act of self-harm at that point kind of yeah. I mean it was a sort of I felt it was a, a, a an act of self-expression but what it was doing and what the entire period of time was was taking me further and further yeah. away from who I was inside. It became an act. And the There's a difference, isn't there, between enjoying fashion and using fashion? Yeah, oh, very much so. The person that I created moved so far away from who I was inside, it, and it basically um, it ended up, and trying to write the book about it, she ended up basically pushing me off a cliff. I lost my mind because I had no anchors into who I was because I'd... And do you think... Yeah, you'd grown up as a chameleon. You'd have yeah. to be... I mean, as someone who I, I is a chronic people pleaser and, 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 and you know, I used, um, you know, drink, you know, to obliterate all those feelings yeah. of less than or not understanding. But, you know, I have a huge, like, antennae for the temperature of... Emotional temperatures mm. of rooms. So, whereas, you know, I don't notice... I'm not a noticer in, in, in a physical sense, but in an emotional sense, my, my emotional radar is so huge and I would then manipulate change myself in order to right. fit that in so that's why the uh, do, they, do people call that an empath yeah maybe or just a psychopath <laughs> <laughs> do you think it made you cruel to the people that you worked with uh, I think when you when you're being very cruel to yourself I think that's going to come out in other ways. Hurt people, hurt people. It's funny, isn't it, that, that how unhappy and vulnerable you can feel and how spiky and unpleasant it's you like can be. It's like RuPaul says at the end of every drag race, is that how, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love, love anyone anybody else? else. Um, I mean, that's true, isn't it? And, you know, I don't... I felt like... So, for example, when I did Top Model... So, yes, we should say Grace was a judge on... Britain's Next Top Model. Yes. And, you know, I'd, I'd worked really hard for no money, for being a stylist. So the stylist, when I started to be, we just started to bubble up as a, a kind of cool thing to be, to do. Um, but behind the scenes, because now people say to me, oh yeah, I want to be a stylist. And I'm like, don't do it. You know, I didn't get paid for, you know, anything for 10 years. I was living in um, my friend's aunt's house association flat. Um, you know, I've gotten, you know, there's there was never any talk about a mortgage, about stability, you know, from, from week to week, I didn't know if I'd be getting any money. People wouldn't pay you for months on end. And the fashion world, I have to say, is not very nice. So um, I think that when I was a judge on Britain's Next to Model, I took that job because I would have been mad to say no. I already had inklings. Wasn't necessarily the nice environment for those girls. So there's a dichotomy with, with a, a TV programme made about an industry because it's entertainment and how I had to navigate that between like, I would like to work again after doing this show versus, you know, so the real, so standing up for the real fashion industry, which was, and you know, not that, it's not that much of a nice space. And it's not me just saying that either, I think we've heard over the last, because I did it 10 years ago, over the last 10 years, you've heard about the casting directors. Yes, It's all coming out now, how the girls were made to starve themselves, their agents were telling them that. They were saying to them, you're too fat. And when you look at them and you're like, if you look at Charlie Howard. Charlie Howard, yeah. You know, all of this stuff, I already knew before before Charlie had come out, you know, and 
trying to um, navigate that whilst my mum's dying of an eating disorder in the background was just so much noise in my head. And also you at that point were trying very hard to stay thin, right? Yeah, because it's TV and, you know. So how were you doing that? I'm next to Elle McPherson, who is, you know, the body. I'm, and I felt like I'm nobody. I'm not a millionaire. (laughs) Body, nobody. Nobody, exactly. And that's what I felt. And also, but again, I had to find my coping mechanisms to to deal with that on a daily basis, having no self-esteem at all. Oh my God, it sounds like a nightmare. Um, and yeah, I was taking, uh, that was at that point I was taking diet pills, doing far too much Bikram. Yeah, also <laughs> diet pills are gonna do nothing for your mood or your mental stability. No, and you know, and, and yeah, but. Exhausting even to think about, isn't it? Yeah, I can yeah, see yeah, you, yeah, she's yeah, sort yeah. of slumped down in her chair. Oh, um, going back to the top model thing, because I'd done TV, um, Simon Cowell approached me. I got the job on X Factor. I had no idea what I was letting myself in for because I never watched it before. What were you letting yourself in for? Um, chaos. And I had a nervous breakdown afterwards. I just, I was just a cog in a wheel. Um, and I should have listened to my instinct of saying no. But when it's like the biggest show on TV and everyone going, what, you're mad, you've got to do that. But How many seasons did you do? One. One. Oh, oh there was One no was way enough. I was going back. Right. Absolutely not. I and mean, what was you know, it about it that was so hard and so awful? Um, we had to style, what, 12 contestants out of the back of an articulated lorry in a car park in the middle of winter. There's no changing rooms. There's no styling room. You, you, you're in the back of an articulated lorry with no heating. So you've got thousands of items of, of clothing coming in on a weekly basis. Absolute mayhem. The contestants themselves have been gaslit to within, you know, just like to the edge of their sanity. They're all living in a house together. They all want to win. And they're all being made, they're all being destabilized all the time for the fun of the editorial because the son wanted and the, their children. The, the, yeah. And so, yeah, some of them are adults oh, who don't want to live in a house with children. And then you've got children who have also, like m- m- many of them, I'm not going to name names. I could, I realised had deep mental health issues that were being unravelled in real time. And I was just like, this is just, it's like, it was like, it was absolute, the definition of chaos. But it, the wheels were really falling off for me. But, you know, I went very silent for a long time. And I think it took me um, two years to just even, I had to do, a, I had to do a lot of work, but I didn't do any counselling. I just felt like I had to, I, I I explain it as the universe crushed my life, but I was sort of glad of it because I'd got into this great big career that actually wasn't what I wanted. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who will identify with the idea that the, that you've gone with the wrong bit of you and mm. how hard it is to press reset. And I think, you know, maybe it's relationships or maybe it's jobs mm. or careers or whatever. And, you know, especially at, at uh, you know, at our age, the idea, the daunting prospect of saying, fuck, how am I going to start again? What am I going to do? What am I, What is my output into the world going to be from now on? And of course, you'd had a baby by now. Yeah, after having Larkin, I was like, I, I have the choices which have been presented to me as a woman. I feel like I either snap back my body that I do. Look at me, I'm doing the gym, I'm doing my diets, da 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 da. Fitness Look, DVD. I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm it, like, it didn't happen. I'm available. I'm, yeah, I'm ready back for TV. Look, it didn't happen. Um, and I was just like, actually, I'm not gonna do that. 
I need to find another way. And was body of work coming into focus at this time? Um, I think definitely from the moment I decided I was not going to have a snapback body. So really trying to get into the politics of fashion to understand how I could change it, if I could be part of the change, because I knew that I couldn't do the other. I'd done that. You know, I'd got to the pinnacle of that, of having to put Topshop and the high street stuff on people on X Factor. And I was told I had to. Yeah. Um, And... So I was like, what can I do? How can I make, how can I be the change I want to see? And I went on holiday with my husband. But what happened was I was two weeks in a bikini of being absolutely insane. Of being like, do I look like her? Do I look like her? What do I look like? Do I look like her? You know, what, what size am I? I mean, am I acceptable? Or am I not acceptable? You know, what's going on? Like 75% of my daily mind was caught up with comparison. And whilst I was in Mexico, I just knew that was it. I, I, I was done. Nothing was working. And so I, I prayed to the universe and I went, right, you know what? It's done. You need to help me understand what is next because I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to do this and nothing's worked. So help me be the person that I want to be to do this. And I was like, and I need a sign and I need it my last like week Ponto, please. yeah Thank you. and um the whole body thing was going on and i i'd been waiting eight years to try and do this project about bodies and i didn't know how to start and i picked up my my husband's camera and i took a new, nude picture of me and my son and wrote the longest thing i'd ever written on instagram saying i feel like i'm losing my mind i I've, i'm 41 i think at the time I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot, you know, I feel like I've done a lot of work personally on how I feel about myself, but I still feel mad and I still hate my body. And that was the point at which I went, I am tired of feeling shit about myself and not really knowing why. And then, so I was a bit like, you know, I I want to go deep into this. I want to understand why women feel shit about themselves because I have been, I've been thin. I've been pretty, I've been famous, I've been all of those things that we're supposed to sign up to and none of them have made me happy. In fact, I've never felt more mad. So what the hell is going on? And the sign was the photo because I just put it up. I was like, oh, like put put it up, put it up like this. And then all of a sudden the response is what was my sign of, and it wasn't just lights, it was people DMing me. It was in a conversation, it was engaging in a conversation that women, clearly desperately needed to talk about and the the feedback was oh my god I never thought you of anybody would have felt had these feelings about yourself because you're always like so tough and so like you know on it you know and I'm always astounded these days when people think when people still judge women by the cover yeah, yeah. you know I'm always astounded yeah. because every almost every woman I know who's beautiful and famous is 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 mad and vulnerable yeah I mean it's like it's like come on guys why is everybody still surprised? Yeah, oh no, agree. But I also think, I also think, you know, it's like we always talk about on the middle. It's like you judge 
someone for sort of striding down the, the 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 street and that is what you see but everybody knows how hard it is some days to get out of bed everybody knows how hard it is some days to get dressed everybody knows for themselves how, for, exactly. but they feel yeah. alone but they, feel they alone. don't realize that every, you know that they're not alone that, that yeah that, and that's i mean that's what we try and do is point out you know that, that we decided Adam and I decided that we put out how we feel in order and you know the feedback is always like oh thank god I thought it was just me mm. and you've had the same thing and, and I it's feel such an like epiphany, isn't it the personal gaslighting which is about what we touched on age weight um how you how the perfection the pursuit of perfection in every part of a woman's life which is driven by consumerism it keeps them um trapped alienated isolated in worrying so much about yourself that you can't you you the the, the that empathy is also cut down because you're so trapped in being blinkered by not being enough personally yeah. it's really really hard to open that conversation up to other people and to hold that space for women so basically you're asking a load of fashion photographers to take nude portraits of you with absolutely no kind of pre um pre-dieting or um and absolutely no post-production retouching yeah the beauty of doing what i've done so far and i want to move it on is that I didn't realize that I was I was holding a space for women but the more women engaged in conversation with me the more it healed me and it made me stronger to uh, to understand yes we were it's funny, all so you were sort of powered by other women yeah. so off you go into this project which is about so I had one of those moments of clarity that comes to you like when you're having a wee I was having a wee <laughs> and I was like oh Clara my wee. god Clara wee um, I was like it's to be able to move that on, I need to start with myself because if I start with myself, A, I, you know, I'm not fixed. And if I'm going to go into the realm of, unlike before, if I'm going to go into the women's realm, if I'm going to represent women, yeah. I need to know what I'm talking about. And you can't be, again, the sort of puppet master in that way of putting people, other people in front of the firing line and no. saying, and saying, that, that this is how I'm represented exactly. I, I totally get you. So you did it to, for, to yourself. To myself. <laughs> and originally I was gonna do one picture of myself and then say to everybody else, oh, this is what I want you to engage in. But it became, it, it, it production-wise, that became a bit of a nightmare. So I decided to flip it, that it would be one body and many photographers so that people could see uh, in imagery there is an agenda as well. So I was kind of breaking out the work that I felt like I was um, complicit in before, and being like, and it, with my body. So, and did your body look very different through all these different lenses? Yeah, 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 completely. Because people have different aesthetics and different agendas. I mean, I don't feel like I've completed the project. And one of the cr criticisms I've come up against is like, well, can you hurry up? And it's, <laughs> it's like. Um, I'm doing this for nothing. To try and get photographers to shoot for nothing is tough. They've got to be really signed up to the project. Female photographers have been really tricky to work with, which I am devastated about. I wonder why. I feel like, well, because I feel like, I'm hoping it's because they're really busy. That would be the best answer. I'm just too busy to do something that's for free. Right. Plus juggle my childcare, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, I feel like also they're a bit like 
bitch, I see a naked body every day that I'm unhappy with. I don't need to see yours as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not a novelty, whereas most, you know, male photographers are like, oh, yeah? <laughs> so oh is God. it a sort of ever-evolving work in progress? Yeah, but I guess if you're taking it from a very shallow point of view, yeah, it's just another woman naked on Instagram. But if you try, if you look at, so the parameters of the project are no retouch, no diet, no exercise, and no clothes. So no fashion tricks, which was totally where I came from. So it's a total exposure. And yeah, you know, I'm, I haven't got the most interesting body in the world, but what it is, is a normal post-Caesarian for, for early 40s body, which we don't see. Still, we don't see. Not Certainly not glamorized in a way of which I have the access to, which is celebrity photographers with who've got all the knowledge of lighting and you know all yeah. of that sort of stuff even it's, just really annoying things like the dog clipping of jackets to make them look slightly different mm. so that when you go into the shop and you try on a jacket you go oh it's why, why, why does it, does it why not, does it look shit on me and it, it didn't well, what picture. emily's talking about just for listeners is that if you have a photographer looking at the front of a woman all sorts of things could be going on at the back with bulldog clips and safety pins and all sorts of things to alter the shape of the clothes alter the silhouette all of that that's exactly. what you mean yeah? Sorry, also yeah. you know to add into that um you know, I, you know, why we, do, the, the, the reason why we don't see anything other than a size eight. So if you've spoken to anybody who's bigger, there's never been any clothes for them. So Beth Ditto said, but you know, I, I will do Vogue or I'll do Love Magazine, but please can you get me some clothes in my size? But because they're not the advertisers. So she said like on shoots, they will have got an outfit and they've cut it up the back and it's been stuck to her. So you just see the front, but you know, this is, that is become, that has been the, the problem in the industry. Um, and so. Do uh, you think mm. that fashion mm. has noticed what you're doing? One of my drivers was to be, to make fashion notice what I'm doing. And I think, I think, I think behind the scenes people have looked but they're too scared to say openly. Because I decided I was not gonna earn from fashion anymore, I sat on the fence for so long, trying to earn from an industry I didn't believe in, which basically scuppered me into nothing. So I ended up with no voice and no money. And then I, ha I had to cut the umbilical cord for, you know, for a very sort of deep metaphor there. Um, I had to go, I'm done with this, and not be like pussyfooting around it, I had to go, it's done, it's over. I took a lot of courage to know that I was walking into something where I never thought I would earn again. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of doing that was that I'm now, I'm only, I'm earning a little bit from something I'm deeply proud of. Whereas before when I had, was earning from TV, I felt, I, felt, I felt dirty from the money that I earned. That's why I spent it all, I couldn't keep it in my hands. I was like, uh, I, like I felt like it was um, ill-earned, so what you're really growing, it's a growing platform that yeah. you're developing for this conversation. And, and, and while this is happening, and I think, I mean, I really congratulate you on that. How do you feel? Uh, much more sane, much more sane. And actually I don't have those moments. I don't have those awful, awful body shame moments where I, you know, I want to cut myself or I hate myself or, you know, I just go and, you know, I used to go out in public, you know, in the public eye and be like, and you know, oh, I feel really fat and I was thin. Mm. You know, I those are, you know, I still have big spiral moments, big dialogues in my head, but they are much fewer and far between. So, um, 
I yeah, I'm I'm a lot more healthier with my body and I feel like and sometimes you can't measure how healthy you are in your brain until you see the 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 epitome of what would be a trigger or you know, so that felt better. I want to open the project up to other women because I see so many women in a trap about their bodies. And when you say open it up, how, how would so, that look? I think my idea would be to have some sort of, I, um, I, I don't want a photographer photographing women. I want women to, ph to photograph themselves. So women so choose really how idea. they take the pictures. I am there to help them pose or, you know, just, just telling them what I know so that they You're can basically go, styling without the clothes. Kind of. And without and, and without the with knowledge the of the of the that they'll be retouching or any of that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And also so many people don't know that in camera if you do you know, if you put your leg too near the camera it's gonna make it big or whatever. And all of that sort of stuff. So giving them a kind of give it bringing it bringing the images that they see, like you saying about the pinned jacket bringing the, the reality nearer to the fantasy that they can understand. Because we all know images are retouched, but we don't know how. So I did one post, one of my, I, one of my posts I made on Instagram was my normal body retouched by three or four different I people. I loved that, that was amazing. And if anyone goes to, on to Grace Woodward and have a look at those pictures, because it is amazing. It was your body and then three different interpretations. And, but we're not being, we know it's happening, but it's so invisible, we don't know what's being retouched. And, and we know it's happening and it still manages to make us feel shit about ourselves, mm. even though we know it's fake. And also that whole thing, like you said, you know, just down to clothing campaigns. Why do I look so shit in that? Yeah. Why do I look so shit in that? And then it's sort of, it's just trying to uh, re reveal the part of which that I felt uh, I had no choice to be complicit in to do the pinning, to do that, that, because if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have had any work. Yeah, yeah, just sort of take, you know, just sort of, if not take away the smoke and mirrors, at least explain them. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah so that. it's a powerful thing, and you know, well done you. I know, I love Thank this you. idea, Grace. I think we all need to learn how to kind of offer ourselves up to the camera without feeling like we are being sacrificed instead. I know, because also the misery that you feel oh. when you see a bad photograph of yourself. Yeah, and the misery of when someone asks to take it's a picture. It's as though and you're that's like, all you are. Like, Panic, anxiety. Is, yeah. is, is, what happens if I have my hand here? I mean, you know, we yeah, have a nightmare Yeah, we're all more than a photograph, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well. So thank you so much for thanks, coming Grace, to see us. Thanks, that was amazing. Oh my goodness. You've been listening to Annabelle Rivkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid-Alt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. And we'll just leave you with this thought. Impossible or I'm possible. Impossible.